0: About 12 hours ago, Dr. Bruce Gross was worshiping with the Barefoot Doctor students in Chiang Mai, Thailand, a mission that we support. And we have a blog that we put up as frequently as they send us information about the school that's going on right now. And this morning he wrote uh, that he went to the worship service. He didn't understand hardly a word of it because there was no translation this time. It was for the students. It was done in Burmese. And yet he recognized two of the songs, and he was able to sing along. And he said the most meaningful time came when they got to communion time. And they all took the bread and the wine together, and they remembered Jesus together. And all he could think about was how it didn't matter where he came from or where they came from. It didn't matter that he was a doctor from America who made so much more money than any of them would ever make in Burma. They were all believers in Christ, and they were brothers and sisters in Christ, and they were at that table by the invitation of Christ. And it was the richest worship he's had in a long time, he said. What a privilege it is for us to worship together. A person is lying on a surgical table very near death. Doctors and nurses are working frantically to save his life. But it's clear they're losing their patient. Beside the operating table, the EKG shows the patient's heartbeat. It's erratic. It's fading. It is gone. A loud high-pitched drone sounds and a flat line appears on the monitor. The patient's heart has stopped. But instead of giving up, the medical team springs into action. The head doctor calls for the crash cart. Paddles are amped up with electrical current and pressed against the patient's chest. The doctor calls clear and shocks the patient's heart. All eyes turn again toward that monitor with anticipation and fear and hope, but nothing. Still, the doctor is not ready to give up. Clear. He orders again, and again the strong current is sent through the patient's heart. All eyes turn toward the monitor once more, but a flat line is all they see, and the high-pitched drone is all they hear. And then after what seems like an eternity, a single beep. Suddenly there is an upward line on the monitor, then another, and another. The heart is beating once again. Blood is flowing through the patient's veins. A life has been spared. You know, when God looks at the church, he longs for her to have a healthy heartbeat. He longs for her heart to beat with his love. He longs for her heart to beat with his love for the lost and hurting people of our world. He longs for an evangelistic passion to flow through the veins of his children You and me, Almighty God wants to see each and every church come alive with love for the lost. So that we will reach out with the good news and grace of Jesus in natural, organic ways. God wants the hurting, hopeless people of our world to be drawn into His church. Where they will find a caring, compassionate community of believers who will help them make their way back to God. But this can only happen when the people in our churches are deeply in love with God. For when we are deeply in love with God, our heartbeat is strong. But when we do not love God as we should, our heartbeat is weak. And it is difficult for us to love others the same way that He loves them. When we are deeply in love with God, His heart becomes our heart. What His heart beats for is what our hearts beat for. But when our love for God is weak, we struggle to love other people the way He loves them. We tend to be selfish and self-focused and have trouble even seeing people who are far from God. When God looks at the spiritual monitor that registers the evangelistic heart of a church, He sees one of several different heartbeats or patterns. Look at these patterns up here on the screen. There's the normal pattern. We get up to the next screen. There's the normal pattern. There's slow heartbeat. There's fast beat. There's irregular heartbeat. And I wonder what God sees when He looks at our church. What is the heartbeat Of New Hope Christian Church. Now, if we're deeply in love with God and we freely express His love to anyone who is far from God, our heartbeat as a church is normal. It's not extraordinary, it's just the way it should be. This is the way every church should be. Every church should have a healthy heartbeat of God's love. Unfortunately, and quite honestly, the churches where the heartbeat is normal are fewer in number than they should be. It's more likely for a church to have one of three other heart patterns, and so we're going to start at the bottom, the irregular heartbeat. These churches have what the name implies, irregular heartbeats in their zeal and their outreach every once in a while. A spark kind of catches hold, and the church has a surge of activity, but in between these surges, the church is preoccupied with other things, almost disengaged from God's mission. On occasion, the Irregular Heartbeat Church has a revival, or maybe some other special emphasis. Almost everyone in the church gets on board for a few weeks or maybe a few months, but soon that emphasis is gone, and so is the energy. Some good is done by a church like this, but only occasionally. Are we, perhaps, an Irregular Heartbeat Church? They're also the fast or rapid heartbeat churches. This kind of church is trying too hard to accomplish God's mission. They're doing a lot of things, too many things, all at the same time, without focus, without priority. They're doing every program that they can get their hands on in order to grow. They're trying all the latest ministry fads, but to no avail. They're almost frantic in their zeal, but they depend on their human strategies and energy to get God's work done in the world. They may even try outreach program after outreach program, but never really gain a hearing among the lost. For their outreach efforts seem inauthentic and forced, not organic and natural. And all of their frantic activity fails to bear much fruit. Lots of money, lots of time, has been invested but little results. Are we, perhaps, a rapid heartbeat church? Then there are the slow or weak pulse churches. In this kind of church, there's a small measure of love for God and for people, but it's weak. In some cases, that love is growing weaker year after year, and a turnaround needs to happen soon or everything will be lost. In slow pulse churches... Only weak efforts are made to be part of the Great Commission. The church sends money to missionaries somewhere so that the missionaries can do evangelism in another part of the world. The congregation has one or two events a year. The seekers are welcome to attend, invited to be part of it. They try to be friendly to guests who show up at their services. But the church lacks a passion for God that drives it out into the world With his good news. A weak pulse church. Is nice to everyone who visits the church. But virtually no one goes out of their way. To engage. With lost people nearby. Virtually no one in the church. Engages with lost people. In their individual lives. The church sends money overseas for evangelism. But no one engages the mission field. Next door. Are we. A slow pulse church. Now, of course, there's another EKG image that is not pictured here. It's the flat line. And there are flat line churches, are there not? In flat line churches, you can't really hear the loud high drone on the heart monitor, but there is little or no love for God that is readily apparent either. For sure, there is not a relentless love for the lost people of our world. The Flatline Church is closed off to visitors and their community and their world. They only look inward to their own needs. They have no outreach. Prayer for their community is non-existent. Whatever heartbeat for God they had at one time has been lost. Thankfully, even a church like this can be revived because we serve a God that can raise the dead. (laughs) But there should be no delay. Someone needs to apply the paddles and shock such a church back to life before it's too late. So, which church are we? Which type of heartbeat does New Hope Christian Church have? Are we honest enough to admit where we are right now here in 2019? Well, we are not flat, flat line, thankfully. I'm sure that's good news to some of you. But if we're honest, I think we have to admit that we are a slow or weak pulse church. Do you remember the description of the slow pulse church? The church sends money to missionaries somewhere so the missionaries can do evangelism in another part of the world. The congregation has one or two events a year that seekers are welcome to attend. They try to be friendly to guests who show up at their services on their own. But the church lacks a passion for God that drives it out into the world with his good news. A weak pulse church is nice to anyone who visits the church, but virtually no one goes out of their way to engage with lost people nearby. Is that a fairly accurate description of New Hope? I think it is. That's not my descriptions, by the way. So, what is the key ingredient that is missing in every one of these churches except the first one, the normal one? That ingredient is love, the love of God for lost people. Revelation 2 and 3, the end of our Bibles records Jesus' letters to the seven churches of Asia. The church at Ephesus, which at one time had been a very strong church, was confronted in Jesus' letter for a great weakness they probably didn't even know they had. It happened so slowly, so gradually, that no one noticed their weakness. They had left their first love. Here's what Revelation 2, 1 through 7 says. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far, you, how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. This church at Ephesus had a long history of serving Christ. They had a solid track record and a great reputation among the other churches. It had many commendable traits, but it also had a fatal flaw. The church at Ephesus had been true to the word of God, keeping any false teaching out of the church and constantly protecting the church from doctrinal error. Jesus even commended them for weeding out errors like Nicolaitanism. Ephesus could well take pride in its doctrinal purity. And I imagine they did. But Jesus saw beneath the surface of all of that. And he saw a fatal flaw in this church. A major flaw that they had not yet realized. The church had lost its first love for God. It did not love God the way that it originally loved God at the beginning of its mission. Consequently, its love for God had grown cold over time. Sadly, that change... That happened to this church happens in many churches. Many churches begin with great passion and zeal for the good that they can do for God in the world. But after a while, they start getting too comfortable and grow complacent and apathetic toward the people outside the walls of their church buildings. And they enjoy each other's company. And the good things that God has blessed them with. Year after year, they enjoy those things. And they are fearful of the evil influences outside of their church. So they circle the wagons. And they protect their children. And they protect the good things that God has richly blessed them with. And they withdraw from the world further and further, trying to hold on until Jesus returns. They may even call it keeping the faith. Do you remember the parable of the life-saving station that I shared back in December? You may not not have been here. You may have missed it. It's not long, but I want to share it again today. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for themselves went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and and effort for the support of this work. So new boats were bought, new crews trained, the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decoration, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had black skin, and some had Yellow skin, the beautiful new club, was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, The new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Does that speak to your heart this morning? I hope it does. Because the church at Ephesus and the church at New Hope have a problem. problem of our love for God and our love for lost people. If our church has lost its first love, if our church's pulse is weak, then we need to shock it with a pulse of heavenly energy that comes from the true source of love, God. If it is experiencing a weak pulse, we need to get back to our first love. Love for Jesus and love for his mission to save lost souls. Jesus didn't come to protect and preserve the people who were already in God's family. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. When we get down on our knees and we renew our love for God, that same focus, that same priority will become our focus and our priority The Bible says about Jesus in Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In Matthew 22:37 we read Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The first and most critical step a church needs to take in moving toward healthy Outreach is to develop a growing and deep love for God. For everything begins and ends with our love for God. When we love God, we listen to God and we obey God. And when we love and listen to and obey God, His love begins to change our hearts and our lives. And then one day we wake up and discover that His love has filled us with love for others especially lost people, people who don't know Jesus yet as their Savior. Now, this is not a quick fix. This is not an outreach program. This is a change of heart at the core. This is getting our church back in love with God so that His love for lost people can grow inside of us naturally. And as Kevin Harney said in his books, Outreach Organic outreach, evangelism is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not a fad. It's the fabric of a healthy church. It's not a system or a program. It's the natural fruit of a church that loves God. As I was reading through some of his books, there are three books called Organic Outreach. One is for families. One is for ordinary believers like us. There's one for churches. He talks about how he has been consulting with a lot of different churches since things broke out in this a few years ago. And he goes to meet with churches all across America, and he says when he meets with them, he always asks them the same three questions. I thought, why not use those three questions today? Ask ourselves these questions he asks churches. These are three critical questions that help them discover where their hearts are as congregations. And he tells them, if you can answer truthfully yes to all three questions, you are well on the way to witnessing an outreach explosion in your church. But if you answer no to any of them, it will be difficult to develop a culture of organic, life-changing outreach in your church. And he said, by the time I say that, I've got their attention. (laughs) They want to know, what are the three questions? Can we answer yes to them all? Question one, does your church believe, honor, and follow the teaching of the Bible? Now, if a church has forsaken the Bible, does not believe what the Scriptures teach about sin and heaven and hell and the saving power of Jesus alone, there is little chance that they will ever have an effective organic outreach. Now, we understand that. If they have forsaken the truth of the Bible, it's unlikely that outreach will ever be a consuming passion of theirs. Now, a church might make every effort to keep from shutting its doors. They might want to grow. They might even be willing to implement strategies and programs to try to engage new people. But only the desire to see people repent of sin, enter a life-giving relationship with Jesus, and be born again through His sacrificial death on the cross will lead to lasting evangelistic movement in a congregation. So what about... New Hope Christian Church, how are you going to answer this question? Do we believe, honor, and follow the teaching of the Bible? The answer is yes. We still do this. The truth and the authority of the word of God is our church's backbone. We follow what God says even when it's unpopular, even when it's difficult, even when our views aren't considered politically correct. Our church follows God's word even when it goes against the culture that we find ourselves living in. Second question. Does your church love people and long for them to know Jesus? Do we love people and long for them to know Jesus? Many would say that we do. After all, we do a lot of things to help people know that we love them. We spend a lot of time and money having our Christmas dinner theater and our free health fair every year. We practice hospitality and friendliness when people come through our doors. We send thousands of dollars overseas to India and Thailand and Myanmar and Liberia so that people will never uh, uh, the people we will never meet will know Jesus personally and be saved by him. Surely we love people and long for them to know Jesus. Then Kevin Harney said, after I share these first two questions, and most churches will say yes to both of them, most of the people in the room are nodding in agreement. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm on, I'm on board with this. I'm okay with this. This is particularly true, he says, when I interact with more traditional congregations that preach the Bible faithfully and have been committed to world missions for many years. Most of them are thinking, yes, we are two for two here. Our church is committed to both of these. And every once in a while, I even get a nice, bold Amen. Then I ask the third question. Are the people in your church willing to sacrifice to the point that they will joyfully embrace change? And after I asked this question, he says, the atmosphere in the room changes. Many of the people who are excited shrink back. They shift in their chairs. They look uncomfortable. I see concern on their faces. Some even groan out loud. It's as if the oxygen has been sucked out of the room and people are gasping for air. And he said, I am not exaggerating. I have met with leadership teams of churches all around the world, he says, and have asked these three questions over and over again. I find that many churches can confidently say, we believe and hold to the word of God. We believe the gospel. We love people. We want to reach out. But when it comes to the idea of changing, actually changing, People seem to hit a brick wall. Why? Here's the answer. When a congregation has grown to be in love with itself and is consumed with self-preservation, it's unlikely it will count the cost and will take steps to reach out. But when the church truly loves others, that love drives them outward. When they love people so much that they hurt over their lost condition, they will do whatever it takes for those they love to taste the goodness of the gospel and to experience the love of God. As the members of a church listen to the voice of Jesus saying, Love your neighbor as yourself, they will feel compelled to look beyond the walls of the church and the circle of their church family. Love will propel them out of their comfort zones and into the world. The sad fact is the leaders of many churches want to reach out, but fear the cost of even suggesting change to the congregation. They love people outside of the church, but not enough to risk incurring the wrath of members inside the church who like things just the way they are. They believe the Bible is true, but they're not willing to take up their crosses, deny themselves, and follow Jesus into a lost and broken world. And when a church is focused on its own needs or takes a stance of self-preservation, it's unlikely it will ever count the cost and take the steps necessary to reach out. But when the people of your church truly love others, that love drives them outward to the lost, hurting people around them. Cultivating a culture of organic outreach in your congregation requires major strategic changes to orient your vision and practice around the Great Commission. In our case, it's going back to our roots. In our case, it's going back to our first love. In our case, it's revisiting the Great Commission that was given to us by Jesus, sending us out into the world to share the gospel And to teach those who respond in faith to Jesus Christ. In our case, it's going back to our love for God. And making that love strong and vibrant once again. So that the heartbeat of God becomes our heartbeat. Outreach must be woven into the culture of the church. Into the DNA of the church. Into every aspect of its life and ministry. Only when a church learns evangelistic passion for the lost from the heart of God will its outreach become more than just another program. Outreach requires a change, a change of heart. You and I decide whether we are willing to change. We must each decide to recapture our first love, our love for God and for God's mission. For our God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to save us. And Jesus so loved this world that he gave his very life for us on the cross. We must so love God and the lost people of this world that we too will become willing to make sacrifices for him. Changes at our core, at our heart level, is where organic outreach will begin. We must capture our first love for God and the love for lost people that our God has. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have, uh, we have felt a verdict pronounced upon us today. I know personally I have felt as I prepared this message, this verdict, that, that we have lost something here, something very dear to you. We have lost that love that we had for you at the first. It has been slipping away and we haven't even noticed. We have lost a love for lost people that you have. We have, have ignored that or we've, we've been too busy with other things to really notice. Lord, you have created within this church a new vision a vision that will send us out into the treacherous storms of this world to where lost and hurting and hopeless people are and to meet them where they live, to touch their lives at the point of greatest need. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be messy. It's going to be costly. And it can only be done at great sacrifice, sacrifices that we must make. Lord, I pray that none of us would shrink back from this charge, this command, this requirement today, that we would fall in love with you all over again, and that we would realize that as we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that that love that you have for lost people will permeate our hearts and change the way they beat I pray for the heartbeat of our church. I thank you for the leaders who have been listening to your heart this past year and for the new vision that you've given us. But I pray, Lord, that as we move forward, that the resistance that would naturally come to change would be overcome. In fact, it would be minimal. That's my prayer, Lord. Lord that none of us would resist these changes as we come to know your heart again. Lord, thank you for your love. You loved us first, and now you teach us how to love. As we look about the people in our community, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our school this week, open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see people we have not even noticed, to realize the depth of the love that you have for them, and help us to forgive and to love them, to bring healing through Jesus to their lives. Help us to be a community, Lord, that is amazing in its compassion and care and concern for one another so that others are drawn into this body of believers. They would find something here they have never seen in their lives before because your love is filling each of us and is pouring out into the lives of each other and into this community. Lord, we seek your blessing. We seek uh, your guidance. May your Holy Spirit continue speaking to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.